We're getting good now, church. Remember where we've been? We've been in the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi have been through a horrible tragedy. They've lost everything in their lives. They've lost husbands. They've lost what they consider to be their future. But last week we saw Ruth's industriousness, her willingness to not sit down, her willingness to step up and say, you know what, I have to go out there and pursue the blessings that God has for me. That was an amazing thing for her to do. She could have just taken the easy route. She could have gone back to Moab. She could have married a nice young man, had him pay all the bills. She could have abandoned Naomi because, you know what, the law didn't bind her to her mother-in-law. It only bound her to her husband. So she could have abandoned that old woman, but she didn't do it. She chose instead a life of faith. And that's where we're at today. All of us here today are waiting for something. We're waiting for something. Many of us are waiting for the rapture. Some of us are waiting for lunch because we didn't have breakfast this morning. All of us are awaiting our redemption. If you don't know what it means to wait for your redemption, today you will be able to walk out of this church. You will know what redemption is and you will know what it means to wait. Don't get thrown off by that first word. Waiting for redemption is the most active, the most exhausting, and the most intensive experience you will ever have in your life. Waiting is not sitting and doing nothing. Waiting is actively anticipating what God's about to do. Let me show you what I mean. Book of Ruth, chapter 3. Open your Bibles, turn on your cell phones, pull up your apps on your iPads. Let's find out what it says. Awaiting redemption. Ruth 3, 1 through 4. First, this whole process of waiting, we need to seek wise counsel. We need to seek wise counsel. Church, let me tell you something. There's a lot of places in the world where you can get bad counsel, aren't there? There are people out there that have letters behind their name. Some are PhD, some are MDID, some are MD. There are people with letters behind their name that think they understand the world. Guess what? Not everybody with letters behind their name understand anything. Sometimes I think, Miss Sharon, our mothers and our fathers, our grandmothers and our grandfathers understood the world better than PhDs and other people in the world. Look at what it says here about seeking wise counsel. Now remember, Ruth has been to the harvest. She has brought home this grain, and, and uh, Boaz has promised to watch over her. Now this is what it says in verse 1. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I seek security for you so that you will be taken care of? Now this is a good mother-in-law. She's watching out for Ruth's interests. Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. This word actually means a thick outer garment, your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. This may seem like a very weird custom, but let's break it down today. How did Ruth seek wise counsel? Simply, everything that was going on between her and Boaz had finished up with the end of the harvest. Now there's no more going back to the fields. Now what does Ruth do? In your life following Christ, you have decided to go to church. Perhaps you're involved in a Bible study. Guys, if you are not in one of our small group Bible studies, 
you are missing a tremendous blessing. Do you know what the blessing you're missing is? Everybody on this side of the church, look at everybody on that side of the church. Now look at them. Now wave at them. That's the blessing you're missing. Guys on this side, look over there. Wave at them. Hi, guys. Guys in the middle, well, you're just a blessing period. No, you can look either way. The greatest blessing in being in a Bible study, a small group Bible study, is not the teacher. It is the people that you are with. Because collectively here, many of us have been serving the Lord a long time. Can I get an amen from somebody? I've been following the Lord for over 30 years, almost 32 years now. So I have learned some things from the Lord's hand, from his discipline. That's what I bring to a Bible study. What you bring to a Bible study is what God is teaching you every day. Remember, you have the same Holy Spirit inside you that I do. He is teaching you the same way he's teaching me, from the word. So Ruth's mother-in-law says to her, my daughter, shouldn't I seek your security? That first word in verse 1 is interesting. You know what the word is? The word is rest. Shouldn't I seek for a place where you will find rest? How many of you can say absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt, your heart is fully at rest? Anybody want to be that bold? And stick up your hand and say, I, my heart's totally at rest. I have nothing to worry about. I'm completely confident in the whole world. Good, at least we're all honest. The thing is, Ruth had no one except Naomi. Naomi knew that she would one day die and Ruth would be alone. Here's the thing. Shouldn't I seek for a place where your soul can find rest? Church, where can you find rest in the world today? The government's turned upside down. The social order's turned upside down. The Middle East is turned upside down. There isn't one safe place anywhere in America. You can't name a college campus that hasn't been touched with violence. You can't talk about one community that hasn't been touched with violence, domestic violence, external violence. It is an unsafe world, amen? That is the truth. Let's not fool ourselves. Our schools are not safe. Our businesses are not safe. But this is not our problem. Our problem is, why are our souls not at peace? That's what Naomi wanted for Ruth. No matter what her situation, she wanted her to have rest. Remember what Paul said this morning? I have learned to make do with everything and with nothing. In whatever situation I find myself, I'm at peace. I am at rest. I am content. And that's what Naomi wanted, for her to be content. He said, so you'll be taken care of. Now, Boaz is our relative. We talked about the Gawal, the kinsman redeemer, the one whose job it was to come and to marry the widow, to give her a child so that she would have a claim to the land and to have a future in the land of Israel. Now, that's what Boaz was. We're going to see in a minute, he's not the only one. But this is the one that God has led Ruth to. You see, it's amazing. God doesn't take you somewhere for no reason. Anywhere God takes you, he takes you for a reason. All the young people, and I call them that because they're younger than me, all the young people that were here Thursday night were here because God led them to this place. Did he lead them here just to fill their bellies with turkey? No. Did he lead them here just to hear me bite my lip and get through a message? No. He led them here to meet you, to meet God's people, to see in your life what it means to be touched by God's grace. You people are a mirror of God's grace. That's 
what he does. He led Ruth to Boaz's field, not because he was the youngest or the best redeemer, because he was the redeemer God had chosen. Now, this is interesting. You've been working with the female servants. You know what kind of man he is. You know where the threshing field is. Now, right after the harvest, all the men would remain on the threshing floor. It was a large level area where they would beat and separate all the harvest before they put it up for the winter. It says, wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. She's getting all dressed up for a reason. Here it is. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man, don't let Boaz know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking, and he gets ready to go to bed. See, now, they would not go home during the threshing. They would stay out there and protect the crops and protect the fields. So they were out there in the threshing floor. He says this, when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying, Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Now, I heard a church in California, and when I say that, you know what I'm talking about. You know it's going to be bad, right? I heard a church in California say, ah, obviously, Ruth wanted to have sexual relations with Boaz to get him hooked into fulfilling his vows. Is that what this says? No. It says, uncover his feet, lie down at his feet. Interesting. Remember what Boaz said to Ruth way back there in chapter 2? when he was blessing her for the way she had stayed with Naomi? It says, And may Yahweh bless you under whose wings you have sought refuge. See, for Boaz, when Ruth came to Israel with Naomi, he, she was seeking God's blessing, God's protection, because Israel was the land of Yahweh God, right? He said, Now lift up this blanket and lie down there. And when he sees you, he will explain to you what you must do. This is the last active thing that Naomi tells Ruth to do. Guys, note that. This is the last active thing that Ruth can do. Because from this point on, everything that happens is no longer in her control. It's totally in the hands of Boaz and God. So I think it's very interesting. He will give you instructions. He will tell you what to do. Now notice, she comes at night. Why? Because the act of uncovering a man's feet, laying at his feet, putting yourself, in essence, at his mercy, is asking him to fulfill his vow. He is the kinsman redeemer. It is his job to redeem Ruth. But, like any other man, he has the right to refuse. He can say no. If, say, she went to Boaz in the middle of the day and laid down at his feet in sight of all the men of the threshing floor, and he said no to her, what would happen? She'd be humiliated. You know, why is it that guys have to ask women to marry them? Why, why do we have to ask? Because if it was up to women, it would never happen. I firmly believe if women had to ask, it would never happen. And I know, yes, there's one example in the church where a woman asked. I'm not going to talk about that today, no. Just kidding. Anyways, this was a gutsy move on Ruth's part. Because Boaz knew who Ruth was. Boaz knew who Ruth's husband had been. Theoretically, Boaz should have gone to her immediately and said, you are the wife of my kinsman. It's my job to redeem you. But he hadn't done that yet. We're going to find out why in just a minute. He had not done that. But she comes to him. 
she initiates the procedure. This is a ceremony that's carried on in Hebrew culture between a widow and a kinsman redeemer. So this is not anything shocking to them. It just looks really weird to us. See, why is it these churches in California think that there has to be some kind of sex involved in this? That's not what it's about. It's about redeeming a person from their condition. Look at all of us today. Everyone here that's called upon Christ has been redeemed. How did we get redeemed? We humbled ourselves. We fell at the feet of Christ. Essentially, we uncovered his feet. And we asked him to redeem us. Remember, Boaz says, you've come under the wings of God. God will take care of you. God will provide. In essence, we have thrown ourselves at the feet of the Redeemer. And once we fall at the feet of the Redeemer, can we do anything else? No. When you come to Christ and you confess your sin, you cannot do anything to earn that redemption. That's exactly what Ruth is doing here. I chose Ruth before Christmas because I want you to understand this is us. Ruth is every man and woman who comes to Jesus Christ in the modern world. This is a play about us. I mean, if you look at it, it's, it's so perfect. Uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you must do. So you see, we had to seek wise counsel. But you know what? Something else. Ruth 3, 5 through 13. Then we have to carry out that advice. Everybody here has given their children advice, amen? We tell our children what they should do, how to handle a situation. Do they ever listen to us the first time or the third time? Yeah, maybe the tenth time. We tell our kids what to do, but you know what? Beyond that, we can do nothing until they what? Carry out the advice. You can tell them what's right and what's wrong, but if they don't do it, that's where it dies. Look at this. Verse 5. So Ruth said to her, said to Naomi, I will do everything that you say. That's a bold statement because she's given her a very gutsy thing. Go to him in the middle of the night, lay down at his feet, initiate this redemption process. But don't forget, in the dark of night with no man looking, Boaz could reject her and nobody could say anything about it. It would save her feelings. You know, she wouldn't be humiliated. But at the same time, Boaz had the ability to say no. And we're going to find out why in just a second. I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of a pile of barley. Then she went in secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet, notice, not next to him, not in any intimate proximity, just at his feet, was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your slave. Notice she doesn't say your kinsman. She doesn't say um, a young maiden. She says your slave. She is submitting to his authority because whatever Boaz says goes. Remember what, remember what Naomi says? Then he will explain to you what you must do. So she is submitting to his authority. Even ladies who are married, I want you to look at this as an example of a way to bless your husband don't call yourself his slave because you really don't want to go there. But the idea of submitting to his authority gives Boaz the freedom to do even more than he's being asked to do. I am Ruth, your slave, she replied. Spread your cloak over me. The word cloak, by the way, 
is, is almost the same word for wings. Spread your wings over me. Remember? Boaz says, you've come under the wings of Yahweh. He said, okay, now you spread your wings over me. Because God's plan for her redemption was through the kinsman redeemer. But for him to do that, he had to take her under his wing. That's where the phrase comes from, by the way. Take him under his wing and then watch out for her best interest. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer. You are a gawel. Very cool. The corner of your cloak. On the corner of a Hebrew man's cloak is what's called the tzitzit. It's a long thread. It's a set of threads. In the middle is a blue tehelic cord. That cord is the symbol of the uniqueness of the Hebrew people. So on his kanaf, on his prayer shawl, there's this little tzitzit at the end. If he were to spread that over her, that's not just a symbol of him accepting responsibility, but of her coming under the authority and the power of God through him. So it's a very huge symbolic act. By doing this, Boaz will take great responsibility for Ruth and any children that she has because of their union. Remember, whatever he does, the land will not belong to him. It will belong to Malan, her first husband, because the whole part of redemption is to redeem the name of the family member who's died. So he's not going to get a whole lot out of this. Not really. Because it's all going to go on to the name of his dead relative. So spread your cloak over me for your family. Then verse 10. Then he said, may the Lord, may Yahweh bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before. What kindness did she show before? She chose not to go to Moab, not to go to her parents, not to go back to her people, not to go back and start a new life. She chose to leave, to come with Naomi to a land she didn't know under the wings of God, he had said. So she showed great kindness to Naomi. But he says right now, you have shown an even greater kindness. How, well, how so? Because you have not pursued younger men. Here's your first hint that Boaz is slightly older. You know, everyone thought, oh, well, he calls her my daughter because it's polite. And it was polite. But now it appears that it's not just that. It's, there's an age difference between them. Now, think about this. There's seven years between my wife and I. But I've never called her daughter. That would just be creepy. So it could be that there's even a greater age difference between Boaz and Ruth. Ruth being a young woman, perhaps as young as 18 or 19. She could have gone after any kind of young man, any kind of attractive fellow. But what would happen if Ruth married another man, not in the family? What would happen? The lineage of Malan would end. So her, her kindness would end because there would be no one to carry on the family name. Remember? Naomi only had two sons. One daughter-in-law has gone back to Moab. Without Ruth, then Naomi has no one to take care of her, no one to watch over her in the future. Ruth was young enough to go and marry any man she wanted. See, I wish the young people were out here. Well, actually, they are out here. Y'all are out here. By choosing to marry according to God's plan... She was giving up what might seem appropriate to everybody else her age. The biggest threat to following God is doing what society tells us is right. Society says, follow your heart. You know, do whatever your heart says is true. Follow your feelings. Yet the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked, that you can't trust your heart. You can trust the word of God. 
You can trust the plan of God. You can trust the leadership of God. But you can't trust what your eyes see and your heart desires. So that's why it says you've done a greater kindness now. You could have married any kind of younger man. But you've come to an old guy like me just to honor your husband and to honor your mother-in-law. So you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say. Now, there's a blanket statement that any man should never make to a wife. I will do whatever you say. Since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And noble praise. Yeah, it's very stressful. Oh, yeah. So you see, already we see something different. When, when Ruth came, people were suspicious of her wife. She's a Moabite. She's one of those people. Those people. So no one trusted her because Moabites had been a real plague on Israel's past. But now it says, everybody that I know respects you as a noble or a praiseworthy woman. So that means that Ruth's activities, her hard work, her industriousness, her care for Naomi have earned the respect of everybody right there in Bethlehem. So what more could a man like Boaz want than a woman who was worthy of praise? He says, yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. See, Boaz understood. No matter what his feelings, no matter what his feelings for Ruth, he had to do what the law said was a correct thing. He had to give this other kinsman redeemer the first option of redeeming Ruth and everything else that went with that. But he says here, here, he says, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you as Yahweh lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. Again, she has to lie down. She can do nothing. She can make no plea. She can make no arrangements. All she can do is wait to see what's going to happen the next day. Remember, she has worked the whole three months of the summer. She has sweated in the field. She has worked hard. Her hands are probably raw and calloused from all the hard work that she's been doing. But now all she can do is wait because it's out of her control to affect what's going to happen. She can't plead with him. She can't convince him to do anything else. Now the best part. So first you seek wise counsel. Then you carry it out. And both times all she could do is wait and submit to what was happening. Finally, Ruth 3, 14 through 18. So finally, we wait on the Lord. After we seek wise counsel, after we follow that counsel, all we can do is wait. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you've done everything you know how to do in your life. You've taken every course of action. You've made the right moves. You've taught your children the right things. All you can do at some point is stop and see what God's going to do. Now, this is not an excuse for laziness. I want to tell you this right up front. What I'm about to tell you is this. Waiting on the Lord is the most intensive, time-consuming, energy-consuming thing you will ever have to do. Because waiting is not sitting. Waiting is an active process. Read this. Verse 14. So she laid down on his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Why is that? Do you know in Bethlehem, among the people of God, the women were terrible gossips? Can you imagine this? Godly women gossiping. Go figure. That would never happen in our church, amen? Amen. <laughs> you guys are killing me here. 
let's try this again. That would never happen in our church, amen? amen. There we go. But Boaz knows people are people. And if a woman was seen on the threshing floor, especially leaving first thing in the morning, even though she had remained at his feet all night long, everybody would assume they had slept together. Everybody would assume the worst and it would be all over town. And remember, the whole reason for sending Ruth at night was so that she would not be humiliated if Boaz rejected her. So still, he doesn't want her to be embarrassed because he doesn't know yet. This other kinsman redeemer, he may say yes, in which case he has no way to claim Ruth's hand. He may be in love with her. He may desire her because she is a noble woman, a godly woman, hardworking, loving, generous. He may desire her, but he has to obey the word of God. You know, that's the hard thing about obeying the word of God. Sometimes it seems like it would be easier just to do what we think is right or what our heart feels. You know what I mean? It's easier just to do with, with what I feel. But God's plan never goes on our feelings. It goes on what's best for us, what works out in the long run. So he says this, and he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. Understand, a measure of barley is about 10 pounds. So how much weight is she carrying? 60 pounds of barley. You guys ever pick up a 50-pound bag of jasmine rice? Yeah. I pick it up, and I groan. This is 60 pounds of barley tied up in a shawl. Where does she carry it? Does she have great big guns? Does she have great big arms? You know, she... Women in the Middle East today, even today, carry heavy burdens on their head. So Boaz probably tied it up, bounced it on her head, and she walked with it back to town, back to give it to Naomi. Amazing, amazing woman that could do all these things. So he says this, okay. So she went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, how did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Now here it is. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. Interestingly, Naomi now knew there's still nothing that Ruth can do. There's nothing that Naomi can do. There's no amount of begging or pleading that will change what's going to happen. But notice this. Who did Naomi have faith in? She had faith in Boaz. Now notice, Naomi's not trying to hook up Boaz and Ruth. He's not saying, well, he's a good-looking guy, and he's strong, he'll make a good husband. She's not doing it. She wants Ruth to have the person God wants her to have. So she says, now all you can do is wait. Maybe you get Boaz. Maybe you get some guy you haven't seen yet, but the man that God brings you will be your redeemer. Remember in the days of Jesus? He appeared at the gates of Jerusalem on the day appointed for the Messiah to come. The day appointed for the Messiah to return. Every priest, every scribe knew the day the Messiah would come, and nobody saw Jesus coming. Why? Because they didn't want to see him. He was not the Messiah they wanted. Why do people go to churches that preach Ruth and Boaz slept together? Because it's what they want to hear. What they want to hear is that God doesn't have one standard. God has many standards. God doesn't have one Messiah. He has many Messiahs. You see, the people in Jerusalem wanted a Messiah who was strong 
and powerful on a white horse who would come in, beat the Romans, and take over. That's what they wanted. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus was on a donkey. And guys, here's the really embarrassing thing. Do you know how you ride a donkey? Are you equestrians? You can only ride a donkey side saddle. Ugh. He didn't even go in riding like a man because donkey saddles are side saddle, both feet on one side. A horse you can ride in the center and you stand up in the stirrups so you don't kill yourself when you're riding a horse. Donkeys were ridden side saddle because they didn't gallop, they just walked. They were not chargers. So you sat comfortably in a side saddle position, not like a conquering general, but like a priest returning from the fields. Jesus wasn't what they wanted. So they said, we're going to wait for somebody that looks like what we want. That was the whole thing. My daughter, wait until you find out how things will go. Even Naomi didn't know which man would redeem her. But, he knew that, but she knew that Boaz would not wait, would not stop until it was redeemed, until it was finished that day. Consider this, Isaiah 40, 28. And thinking about what it means to wait on the Lord, to wait on this decision. Isaiah says this, do you not know, have you not heard, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. Isaiah is establishing that God is a God that can do anything. He gives strength to the weary, strengthens the powerless. Young youths may grow faint and, oh, sorry, youths may faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust you can also insert the word wait there. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I told you, waiting on the Lord is not passive. It's not sitting down reading a magazine hoping that God's going to do something. It is the expectation that God is working. The expectation gives us strength and power and vigor. He does not give us those things to do nothing with. What do we do when we're waiting on the Lord to bring the right husband or the right wife into our lives? What did we do, gentlemen? We served the Lord. We taught Bible studies. We shared and evangelized. We continued to serve God until the day came when he brought us the thing that we wanted. You cannot say, I will start serving God when he gives me the following. Because guess what? Life doesn't go that way. You don't start serving God after he gives you what you want. Ruth worked three months in the field in the heat of summer with no husband, no income, only what God provided through the harvest. She didn't wait to serve God and serve Naomi until after she had a husband. She served in spite of the fact she had nothing. Imagine what would happen if every Christian who was waiting on God to answer a prayer, imagine what would happen if you waited by sitting on your butt until God answered your prayers. Guess what? The second coming of Jesus would be here and you'd still be sitting on your butt. We were overseas. We found an interesting thing. There were women in our group who were intent on finding a husband. Then there were women, like my wife, who could care less. They were just there and worship team and doing other things. And they, they were not preoccupied with it. All the women who were, who were actively seeking after a husband, as far as I know, never found them. 
And all the women who sat around, oh, they got the good stuff. How can I say? Because when we wait on the Lord, when we are actively serving, when we are running and leaping and flying on the wings of eagles, we don't take notice of how much time goes by. And God can pour all these blessings into your life, and you don't even know how blessed you are until you stop and you have a Thanksgiving day. And then you go, oh my gosh, look what God did for me this year. I didn't even notice because I was so busy serving him. They just all fell into my lap. Consider Exodus 14, 13. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Stand firm is an active thing. It doesn't mean stand. It means be resistant. Stand against what's happening. Fight fear. And see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, but you must be quiet. Insert the word, be still. As in, be still and know that I am God. Now, what did the people of Israel do when the Egyptians were coming after them? They stood their ground. They didn't panic. They didn't run around like chickens with their heads cut off. And when God opened the Red Sea, what did they do? They were ready to go through it. They were ready to go through it. Are you ready to do whatever God calls you to do today? I mean, this is my wife's first time to play guitar in front of people. So it's like, you know, she's like, can I do this? Can I do this? I'm saying, yes, yes, yes. But guess what? She did it. Now she won't be afraid to do it again. You have trouble witnessing? You have trouble sharing your faith in Christ? You have trouble explaining the gospel? And I told you, one of our stellar college students, uh, okay, Judy, I'm going to embarrass you to death right now. It's okay. We had a conversation Thursday. And she went to college, and she encountered these Christians. I love that word. Oh, we're a Christian group. Really? Well, what do you believe? And she was telling me some of the things this group believes, and I'm like, they think what? They believe where? How did they get that? And they're trying to convince Judy that this is what you should believe, because we believe it. And they might throw out a verse here or throw out a verse there. And I recognize most of the lies from other things that I've run into over the years. But you know what she did? Rather than siding with people or going with what sounded like a logical human argument, she said, yeah, but the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. When the Word of God says this, she wasn't taken in. Why? Because she waited on the Lord. She stood her ground. She defended her faith. Now she's vindicated. Now they won't bother her. Now they won't try to seduce her away from the truth because she knows it and she stood up to them. Anytime we stand our ground, anytime we refuse to be taken in by the world, anytime we refuse to give in to fear, Ruth could have given in to fear. In the middle of those three months, she could have said, I am too tired to work in the fields. Naomi, I love you, but I am too tired to do this I'm going to go marry Bob down the street because Bob will marry me and then I can take it easy and take up knitting. She didn't do that. She stayed faithful to what God was doing in her life. And at no time during her wait did she ever take a day off. She worked continuously serving Naomi, reaping the harvest, doing what she was supposed to do, keeping the Sabbath, worshiping God. And in the fullness of time, 
when Boaz had seen everything, then Naomi sent her to him. and He said, I will deal with this one way or the other. I will solve your problem. Waiting on the Lord is very active. Notice this. Once she makes the request, when does he promise to do it? When he gets around to it? He says, you go home in the morning, and I will find the near redeemer, and I will tell him, and if he redeems you, good. It's all over. But if he doesn't, I will do it. That's a man of action. That's a man of God who says, I will be obedient to God's command if I need to be, when I need to be, where I need to be. So let me ask you, what steps do you need to take today? Everyone sitting in here is at some point or another in their life with their faith walk. So what step do you need to take? One, who do you go to for wise counsel? Because it has to be the Lord. If you're going to Dr. Phil or the doctors or you're going to somebody at school who's got a PhD or some guy in the office who's got a lot of money and a fast car and he tends to be respected by everybody because of his uh, financial ability, is that who you go to for advice on how to be a godly man? Or do we stand with what the Lord says a godly man is? Consider carefully. Where do you get your advice for living? Young people learn most of the things they learn from us. They don't use them in our presence, but thank God they use them at some point in their life. Here's the ultimate revenge. Always know your children will parent like you. Because I always say, if you want to know what your future wife will look like in 10, 20 years, look at her mother, because that's who she's going to turn into. Hey, mommy was a great cook. She was hospitable. She loved me. I remember the first time I went to my mother-in-law's house, she says, get your husband some more food. Get him something to drink. And I'm like, I love you, Mom. You're great. No, I did. I love my mother-in-law. She was awesome. Two, do you put into motion what you are told? You come in here, you read the scriptures. It talks about waiting on the Lord. It talks about seeking the Lord's counsel. It talks about being faithful to the Lord's plan, even though you don't yet see what you want. Here's the question. When you walk out that door, what do you do with it? You've seen God's plan at work in the life of Ruth and life of Naomi. You've seen three chapters of it. What do you do with that faith? What do you do with that command? Do you follow it through? Do you actively seek to follow God? And the last one is, are you actively waiting on God's response to your request? Then you will receive your answer. See, we put a lot of prayer requests in every week, don't we? We put them on the prayer sheet. We send them out. You ever notice a lot of those get answered? And they don't always get answered the first day or the second day or the third week or the fourth week, but they get answered. And that's because once we start praying, prayer is active. Prayer is daily. We're daily asking the Lord for what we need, but we don't wait to serve him until we get the answer. We send up the pass and we go to work. We share our faith, help our neighbors. Pray for our fellow church members. If someone needs a car ride to get to church, we provide that. If we're going to have another outing for the young people at, at state, maybe at Christmas time, well, then we step up and we do it again. I know I got a whole plate of broccoli on Thursday night, which is good. I actually needed the broccoli because I was running around getting to talk to people. And I would rather have a plate of broccoli and talk to all those kids than be able to sit down, eat a big giant meal, and miss the chance to get to know them. You know what I mean? You guys see what I'm talking about? You have to wait on the Lord. But while you're waiting, you have to continue serving the Lord. 
All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Lord, I thank you today for the emotions that have run high. Father, I thank you for the blessing um, of having people who step up to play and to sing and to share their lives. Father, I thank you that we are now in the midst of waiting. Father, we are waiting for you to come back. We are waiting for you to redeem your church. Father, we're waiting for you to return and take us to be with you so that where you are, we will always behold your presence. Father, I cannot wait until the day of the rapture. And Father, I know that that day may be many years away. It could be moments away. But Father, I pray that until that day, I will be active as I wait for you to fulfill the promise to bring your church home. Lord, as we go forward right now, I pray there's anybody in this room right now, Father, that is sitting down and waiting for you, but not actively serving you. Father, I pray you will move their heart to become active in your service. Father, I pray there's somebody here that doesn't know you. That, Father God, they know that there's a God, but they have no relationship with you. They have no connection to you. Father, I pray that right now they will reach out to you. Father, they will just open their heart to you and, and ask you to save them, ask you to love them, ask you to redeem them. That, Father, just like Ruth, we, we will lay down at your feet and ask you to redeem us. And, Father, when you've seen our hearts and you know that we genuinely seek your redemption, that, Father, you will redeem us. You will cover us with your wings. You will put that cloak around us. And from that moment on, we will be safe because our inheritance will be on the way. Father, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.